Isaac. I'm Sina, and you're about to enter the minds of two software product managers and friends who create new tech products for a living. We talk about technology, future, and everything else that sparks our curiosity. Hi, guys. Hi, Sina. Hi, Sina. Hi, Greg. You're looking at me really awkwardly. <laughs> I didn't know if you're speaking to the audience or speaking to me. I'm speaking to you because this episode about you. The, I'm surprised by this. Yeah. I was surprised walking into this room to find out. I thought it was actually going to be on a topic specifically, not me as the topic. Yeah, so you are kind of the topic. And the reason is we recently, so Isaac and I did a major universal rebrand for this podcast. Major. Major. Got all parties involved, all stakeholders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Previously, it was called a C- Isaac and Sina's podcast. Now we're calling it humans of tech so you're officially the first human to come to this show privilege privilege there's no bench Welcome. there's no benchmark <laughs> isaac and i were creating an open ai lab so we don't count but <laughs> yeah and generally the, the reason we changed the name to humans of tech was because uh there was some pattern that we noticed in every time we talked on record or off record about the podcast we noticed that there is this pattern when we talk about tech careers and tech industry and the people in tech uh, and how many different careers have been born in tech that people are not aware of. Right. Uh, because people usually, when they think about tech industry and they think you're working in tech, they assume you're coding, you're a software engineer. Even I think universities and all, they only recommend that one career. Whereas at this point you have design, you have product roles, you have sales, you have leadership, a lot of many like finance and legal. You have a huge number of roles within tech. Yep. Uh, some people don't know about these. Some people know about the roles, but they don't know what's the entry point. How do you get into these? Got it. So we thought, you know, we know so many uh, interesting people in our circles who work in tech, and we would want to really uh, bring them here to hear their stories and to see who they are, you know, how do they get to where they got. So, yeah, starting with you. Um, thanks for coming. Really appreciate you. Thanks for here. having me. Honestly, it's, <laughs> I am very privileged to be on. Thanks for the invite. It's our privilege to have you here. Uh, yeah, maybe you can start by <laughs> telling me. talker. <laughs> this all after starting the podcast, I've learned these skills. So tell us a little bit about like you. Who are you? What do you do at this point at Superhands? Starting from the, the very current present. Very current. All right. I am the chief revenue officer at a small technology business in Malaysia called Superhands. Do you want to know a bit about my day-to-day? Sure. Yeah. How does your day look like? Fighting fires and working a lot with people. That's pretty much my day. <laughs> that is my day to day. I think Isaac will have some input on that in terms of fighting fires. I create some of them as totally. well. <laughs> I would want you or both of you. I mean, I could technically as well because I used to work at Superhands. But share a little bit about Superhands as a tech company that you mentioned because a lot of people who are listening may not be familiar with Superhands. So, what do you do? So, we just actually had some media training on Friday <laughs> and we were asked this very, very same question. Nice. And it was difficult to answer when you're under that much pressure. <laughs> we are um, a data labeling company. So we do data labeling for machine learning. Um, for those that are not in the technology space, we provide context to data. So if you think about autonomous driving vehicles, lots of data required, lots of tagging, categorization for different images to help these cars drive themselves. That is very cool. So today we have the chief revenue officer of Superhands, which is you. Thanks. We have the head of product at Superhands, which is Isaac. And we have the ex Superhands product manager, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm the ex Superhands product manager. This is going to be fun. Uh, so I think something I would want to ask is, um, yeah, how did you get to where you are? Like, what is your life journey like? And you can talk about it in any depth that you like. 
that is a very deep and broad question. Do, 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 do. Um, how far back do you want me to go? 10 years. Like, what are the themes of you? When you think about the past 10 years of your life, what are some chapters up to here? All right. So we're going to go back 11 years. 11 years. Because 10 years uh, was when I moved, actually moved to Malaysia. Uh, it was January 2010. So if we go back one more year, you can see how the kind of transition came over here. Um, so how did I get into tech? I dropped out of uni. There you go. There's a, there's a start. <laughs> um, interesting. So I actually studied accounting and finance, and I managed to wing it by getting into university somehow. I really don't know how I, I managed to get into university. Um, studied accounting and finance at a university called Aberystwyth. And you'll see two commonalities between these two things. Accounting and finance, top of the list. A, C, Aberystwyth University, top of the list. So I applied for both these things just because I, did, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I really enjoyed numbers. So uh, when I was studying sort of A-levels, it was maths, physics, and business studies, and a bit of, a bit of IT as well. They called it IT. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't tech. It wasn't programming. It was, I don't know, Apache? I remember this? Something or other? What? Yeah. But that, that was yeah. pretty much yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then I went to uni and studied accounting and finance because it was just a traditional job kind of thing. And I thought, well, there might be a job at the end of it. Didn't really know what I was doing or really why I was doing it. Um, and then after a couple of years, I kind of thought, I, I don't know if I really want to do this. I think the whole concept of studying and going to university and I don't know, there was no purpose behind this studying of accounting and finance. Like what was the end goal to get a job? I wasn't really thinking too much about it, right? It was just this natural process that you kind of brought up with. You go to high school, you go to sixth form, you go to university, you get a job. And that was it. And we didn't really have any other guidance other than that. Like the career guidance we got is how to get into university. It wasn't even like how to get an internship. Um, how to go away and uh, apply for some jobs or get some work or anything like that. It was, it was just like this kind of process. And you know, now you've asked me this question, looking back on it, it's, I think it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's bad, but it needs to be some other options. It needs to be some other form of guidance. I didn't go to any sort of private school or any fancy school in, um, in, in the UK or anything like that. So there's no really access to any sort of information out there. At least I, I didn't know where to look for it. I didn't know where to start kind of thing to, to be honest it's unknown unknown yeah yeah and what I did know was you know I went to school and these are things we were told and it's like well, okay well we'll follow this kind of process um so then I, I kind of I took a year out I actually got a summer job at um at Deutsche Bank in a mortgage division I was doing some kind of data entry kind of stuff and and all that kind of all that kind of stuff and as I got more into it so my dad actually um, started investing in houses as well. So he has a small, port, small portfolio of houses, nothing big or fancy. Um, and he started renting them out. This whole concept of buying property and renting it out, I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Um, so when I got my summer job at Deutsche Bank, I decided that I was going to not go back to uni. And I was just going to stay there for a year just to kind of find my feet, I think, just to see if I wanted to go back. And as I kind of got more involved in sort of the day-to-day -day work and kind of built a lot of relationships and friendships in, in that job. I was like, I didn't know or didn't see the value translating from an accounting and finance degree into what happens next. Because I didn't really know what was going to happen next. But 
to go to uni and study these things, I didn't see that translation into maybe where I was going to go in the future. Um, so I kind of decided when I was at uh, Deutsche Bank that I was, I was like, oh, well, I kind of really like houses and I really like working with people. Um, I'm going to be a mortgage advisor. So in a, a mortgage advisor in the UK, you can become an independent mortgage advisor, which basically means that you get regulated by the F Financial Services Authority and you go out and you develop your own leads and you basically have this small business of your own under this umbrella. Um, so I kind of sat down with my mum and dad, who are freaking awesome, by the way, and I was like, I'm not going to go back. Um, I don't see the value of it. But when I said that, I kind of said, well, these are the things that I really want to try. I want to... I want to get into this mortgage brokerage thing. My dad kind of understood this business and we kind of just had a chat and we, there's like this understanding and they were like, okay. And I was like, you know, it's m many years ago now and a lot has happened since then. But from memory, having that support there, it was just like, okay, let's try it. And bear in mind, my, my dad invested a lot into me going to university, right? In, in, in respect to like their salaries and their jobs and all that kind of stuff. So for me to say, yeah, I'm not going to go back. It's like, and and they, how they supported it, it was yeah, it was it was really good for for me. So th that kind of drive then was like, well, I'm gonna expedite this, and I got professionally qualified as a mortgage advisor. And at the time, 2007, 2008, you know, the financial crisis hit at the at the time it was all, it kind of peaked. And then as I went into be a, an independent mortgage broker after getting qualified and getting this job under this uh, small umbrella firm. Oh, damn. Basically, the shit hit the fan and everything dried up. Funding, leads, potential clients, all that kind of stuff. But I didn't know. I, I was just like, well, you, you go in and you just kind of hustle your way through this kind of work and you learn the ropes and all this kind of stuff. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a pretty interesting journey. So it kind of, I kind of did that for a while. Um, and when I was there, because the role that you're in, it's basically your own business. So there's no, there's no salary. So right. you don't get paid unless you sell stuff um, and you get clients and you get a book of clients. So I was 20, this is 2008. Help me out here. How many 2008, years ago that? that's 12 years ago. 12 years ago. So I was 22. Wow. So I was 22 doing this. Um, <laughs> Damn. So what I did, we have a neighbor and she works for a people placement, basically part-time work. And there's a, a big company called Kimberly Clark. You probably heard of them. Yep. Made tissue paper and baby wipes and all this kind of stuff. And funny enough, coming back to this whole idea of automation, a lot of the time their production lines used to go down and they needed help and support from manual labor. So from 7 p.m. till 7 a.m., I would, I would go in and work a night shift for 12 hours um, and basically fold boxes and put wet wipes into boxes for 12 hours and then go out, uh, quick sleep in the car, go back home, shower, change, put a suit on, and go back to the mortgage thing. Did this for a while. Um, it's crazy. Had some small amounts of success along the way. Nothing nothing huge. It was pretty tough. I didn't know anything about sales process or methodology. I wasn't really told that. It was like, just get to know people and sell them stuff was the, the advice and guidance I was given. And that was it. And I was like, well, okay. Um, so again, unknown unknowns. And so my kind of learning along the way was... I know it was pretty lax. I think looking back on it now, I probably could have done a lot more. 
So whilst I was there, I got friendly with this guy who's uh, pretty much the pension specialist. And he can kind of come up with an internal referral thing where he can refer over mortgages and we can refer over pensions and things like that. Um, and during that time, he got offered a job in Malaysia. They're like, why don't you come out here, check it out. And I'd go in, at, th at that moment in time, um, a long-term girlfriend had been with, been with her for about five years. We pretty much started to grow apart because we it was long distance. She was in Oxford. I was up in Manchester. For those that don't know, it's probably about a three-hour commute. Um, and I think that distance, we, we just kind of grew apart. We were growing in different directions. And we said, Look, this isn't working out. But coming back to that, I actually applied for a job down there. And at that moment in time, applying for a job down there, which was just going to pay me a basic salary. As in Malaysia or No, down, down in Oxford. Okay. So yeah, sorry, the story jumps around a bit. That's no, okay. So I was actually a mortgage advisor and, and broker up in near, near where I lived. And to try and make the relationship work, I started to apply for jobs in Oxford. Right. Applying for these jobs, I went in, nailed the interview, um, I humbly say. Uh, and I say that because they offered me the job um, and I turned it down and then they came back and they they offered me a pay increase as well and I turned it down and they did the same again. Wow. Um, and I turned it down again. And this was kind of built like, this is not what I want. And I kind of made a decision and it's like, this is not gonna work out kind of long-term. So when I got friendly um, with the dude in, in the pensions side of things, he was offered to kind of come over to Malaysia, check it out, check out the company. Um, and he said, well, if you need a bit of a break because of everything that was happening, why don't you come over? Uh, the flights at the time, like 400 pounds, about 2000 ringgit return. And we were just going to spend like four days here. So flew over, met the CEO of the company. Um, he basically looked me up and down and said, do you want a job? And that was the interview pretty much. And I was like, yeah, sure. And this was in kind of September 2009, I think it was. I think it was around that time. End of 2009 for sure. And I was like, yeah, why not? And he's like, can you start tomorrow? And I was like, well, no, I can't because I've got a, an entire life <laughs> in, you know, in, in, in the UK that I've got to pretty much wrap up. And then I, I went home and I spoke to my mum and dad and I was like, I've been offered a job in Malaysia. And the first thing they said was, yeah, we thought they thought they would. <laughs> we, we thought we thought it would, and I was like, okay, fair. Um, and then the next thing they said is, when do you leave? And I was like, it was just one of those wow. things. Like, no matter how much you think you think your mum and dad know you, they know you like more than like way beyond that. And like, you get them on the phone nowadays. Like, and I know like being away from them for so long, and it's like, what's wrong? Straight away, first thing. <laughs> so. And then, yeah, in, in January, January 1st, 2010, got on a flight, packed up all my stuff into a single bag and flew over, flew over to Malaysia. And I was working in a, in a finance firm. And that was kind of the start of this journey in, in Malaysia because it was like starting from ground zero, right? 24 years old, not knowing anything. Um, I appreciate this has been a very long-winded kind of introduction into the, the technology space, but just to give you an idea of where I come from with a kind of zero technology background. It's, it's good context, I think it's um, context to know. Yeah, and then Jan so January 1st, like with a time difference, landed January 2nd. Um, January 3rd was a Sunday and I started work January 4th. And my introduction there was given a photocopied piece of paper um, with a bunch of names and telephone numbers on it. <laughs> I don't know how much I can swear on this. And then the, the CEO of the company throwing it down and saying, uh, call these people and book me some fucking meetings <laughs> and make me some money. 
But this is our first official, like, explicit episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> please edit it out if you need to. Sorry. No, um, it's fine. But I've been think, waiting for this moment. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, you know, from, from, from that moment in time, you know, it's kind of sink or swim, right? Um, yeah. Super low basic salary, um, high commission. And it basically, if, you, if you're good, you make it. If you're mm. not, you get fired. And that, and that was it. Wow, that's interesting. Low salary, high commission incentives are super high. Yeah, yeah. It's typical sales. Like my previous job is basically you either do well right. or you fail. Interesting. Um, I mean, we can go like further back into the washing cars and delivering papers and delivering milk and all this kind of stuff that I did from a very, very young age and work with my brother. Um, but I think if you want to go into that a bit later, we can do. And like, when do we actually start working all that kind of stuff? We might. We okay. don't know where the conversation could go. Yeah, I think, to be honest, my brother is very entrepreneurial. Um, coming back to kind of 2010, yeah. getting on the phone, literally cold calling people and saying, hey, do you want some investment advice? So there's a whole story behind this. And I kind of, we moved offices and I found a, a recording by a guy called Alan Pease on how to cold call and how to book meetings. A recording on a VCR tape? It was, it, it came in a VCR box. Wow. And you, it was like, it was super, super old school. It's Alan what? Alan Pease, A-double-L-A-N-P-E-A-S-E. Um, really not. And he, yeah, he's an Australian author and he's a lot on body language and all this kind of stuff. And when I was, when I was in the store, I was like, oh, what's this? And I opened it up and it was, it was in a, uh, a VCR, but it was a cassette tape recording. And, and it was like a, a, and it was a CD as well. And then there was like this super old kind of piece of paper thing. And I was like, oh, what's this? Like literally just a kind of a by, a by chance yeah. kind of finding. And did a little bit of Googling. I found some digital recordings of this thing. And then I, yeah, I, I listened to it and I made some notes. And then the next day I went into work and I started implementing these different techniques and I started doing well. Oh, damn. Like, and Instantly. I thought, like, yeah, straight away. And it's the kind of breaking through that. This is what I've always done. And then taking these new techniques and trying them and breaking that habit. When, cause when you're on a call a bit like now, you don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. And especially when you're doing hundred and 150 calls a day, um, like how do you guide that conversation? So to give you a bit of context as well, I was one of maybe 10 people doing this, calling all the same people across Southeast Asia. And we were one of 50 businesses doing exactly the same thing, calling the same people, like cold calling. If you ask anybody in Malaysia that's like a, an expat, they'll say, oh, these guys always cold calling. It just, it just was the case. Um, and then I started, to, I started to do well. We started to book meetings and I started to make some really good friends through cold calling. Like one of my best friends in Malaysia is one of the first guys I ever cold called. Oh, wow. And he's, he's actually, I'm moving into his house in TTDI. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's actually let me go in on a, on a reduced rent. I've known him now since, ever since cold calling back in 2010. That's crazy. Came full circle. Came full circle. And I played rugby with him. He's like a really, really nice dude. But, you know, for, for me, like that kind of sales relationship building, like cold calling and insurance investments, it's transactional. For me, it never was, right? It, it never was. It's really trying to understand people and have, having convers like real human conversations yeah. with people. And that's something we really do want to come back to at some point in this podcast because yeah 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 for, for sure like my, my view on sales and you know people will disagree and all that kind yeah. of stuff which is fine like um and then from there it kind of snowballed in terms of getting this sales experience and 
for the next kind of six years from 2010 to 2016, I performed. I started to do really well and worked very closely with the CEO and all that kind of stuff. And he said, you know, can you build me a team? I was like, yeah, why not? And so that was 2014, 2015. So how long ago was that? Five years ago. Six years ago. So yeah, I would have been 27 probably about 27, 28. Um, and I put together, it was probably about a team of 10 cold calling people. But it, it was one of those things. It's like, you know, build me a team. Are they all like you? <laughs> like an <laughs> army, a Greg army? Thankfully, no. I think that you're <laughs> right. Um, but again, hiring program, zero. Training program, none. Like management program, none. Like, you know, so what do you do? It's just, it's just like, you're just kind of thrown in at a deep end. You say yes, and then you kind of work it out along the way, and you work closely with people. And I've messed up a huge amount because um, I think when you're hiring people as well, I think we'll come back to this. It's you know, you, it's it could be the start of their career, and you're building their career and all that kind of stuff. And then 2016, um, the business was kind of bought over in a very kind of haphazard kind of way, and things started to fall apart. And I saw this, and I just finished reading this book by Tim Ferriss called The Four-Hour Workweek. How to outsource your life, ditch the nine to five, and work from a beach. The, work, the, the book I don't like, but I'm happy to listen to you talk about. Why don't you like it? Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I, should, I, it's, I don't really know whether it's ethical. In what sense? The whole idea of like outsourcing. I mean, I think it really depends on context, but I, mm. I, I might have met a lot of people who took that the wrong way right, and implemented the lessons of the book in a way that I thought, okay, I don't want to be associated with that sort of lesson. And so you could say maybe that's my bias, basically. Maybe it's not the book. But so yeah. I, I think that's a very good point. Because yeah. um, I think it's not about what you read, it's how you implement yep. it and how you use it, right? Fair. And I think that's why salespeople get a bad rap as well. Fair. Because they can be construed as very manipulative in terms of the techniques they use. And if you use them in a bad way, of course, like uh, what do they say? A superpower isn't a superpower unless you can use it for evil as well. Right. So I think what you do with the information you get is very important. And the information I got from that, that book in terms of there's got to be a better way to do things. And serendipity moment, close the book, think it's brilliant, go for a dinner at a piano lounge called, sounds fancy, it's not, um, <laughs> called Bobo, um, just over in Bangsar. And it's just a, a friend's birthday dinner, come up the stairs and then Mark walks in, Mark Co, CEO of Superhands, hey Mark, what's up? <laughs> um, and we kind of mixed in similar circles. He also runs a, a, another business called Pestle and Mortar, which is a clothing business. And I use, I've known him for now, for nine, almost 10 years, ever since I've been here, kind of playing football and things like that. And he basically said to me, hey, been hearing some good things about you and sales. Can we have a chat? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, that was 2016. Uh, yeah, and he was like, look, I'm got this business called Superhands. It's a, it was then a virtual assistant. We've had some good traction with some other businesses in the, in the B2B space, and I need some help growing that side of things. Is that the first time you met Mark in the yeah. piano lounge? Uh, no, the first time I met Mark, probably 2011, 2012, first time I met Mark. And I was, my CEO at the time, I'd put together a football match with some ex-employees. So me and Mark used to work at the same company, but at different times. 
So Mark comes from a finance background as well. So he had a similar job to me, but he left before I, I, I arrived. So during the football match, we kind of wrapped up. We were just going to go out afterwards, you know, grab a few beers. Um, and I didn't have a spare T-shirt. And he was like, oh, hey, here's a t- why didn't you have this T-shirt? <laughs> Pestle and Mortar T-shirt. Pestle and Mortar T-shirt, of course. And it was the original mechanic Pestle and Mortar T-shirt. Oh, blue one with white text. Um, and I've, I've just been going through some old stuff because I'm moving house. And I found it. I've still got it. <laughs> still got that T-shirt. Um, so yeah, so Mark knows some other people in the finance space and in the sales space. And he just, yeah, he approached me. and was like, look, I've been hearing some good things about you in sales and I want, I want to see if you can help out. So going from a, a B2C finance space to a B2B technology space wow. in, a, in a flip of a switch. A rapid transformation. Well, not, yeah. And as Isaac and you guys know, you go into super hands and at the time, like very early stage, no hiring process, no training process. You know, is it, is it, you're seeing a common theme here and you kind of have to build all this stuff out. All I remember is one day during town hall, I walked in and I asked Mark, who's this white guy? found <laughs> <laughs> a room. <laughs> and then he was like, this guy might or might not join us. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> so, so I think that's, that's the start. So there's no introduction of like, what role you're exploring for. Right. Or, or why is he here? It's just like, oh, he's interested. <laughs> he's good. Let, let's see how it goes. And that's, that's the beginning. Was it like standing or sitting or what? Yeah, that, that was way back in the VLT labs uh, when our office is still in Bangsa to call, right. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I remember that. He was like, oh, you know, why don't you come over, see how we do this bit of a town hall? And it, honestly, so at that, um, so the sales guys are two and they started present, they, they, throughout the presentation, there was like, a bunch of graphs and metrics and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, wow, <laughs> these guys are so professional. I was like, ooh, numbers. <laughs> um, and I was just like, the the kind of vibe you got from the people that were there, it was, it was just different. Like right. going from Deutsche Bank to mortgages to financial services. And it's just the, the, the culture was just different. It was a different kind of feeling, a different kind of vibe. And I was kind of taken with it, right? Um, and, you, you know, salespeople told me, oh, money chasers, commission chasers, all this kind of stuff. Like, I, I took a, my pay was a third of, of what I used to take home when I was in finance. And that was before any sort of bonuses or anything like that. So it was never about the, the money for me to kind of move over. I don't know, it was just, as you guys know, Mark has got this thing about him, right? When he talks about yeah. super hands, like, re- regardless of like what it is today, like how he speaks about it in, in, in the present at that moment in time, he's super passionate about it. And like what he wants to build is just a group of awesome people that can move in the same direction. Like, and it, it's, it's captivating, right? It's just like, Oh, who is this guy? Like what, you know, what is he trying to do? And it's like, I don't know, but I want to help him. Like I want to do this. And then meeting with Suzanne as well. And you're like, wow, like Mark's over here doing all the visionary stuff. And yeah, Suzanne's the co-founder uh, of Superhands. Yeah, Suzanne. Hey, Suzanne, co-founder of Superhands. Um, comes from a, a management consulting background and you can see how the they kind of dynamics work. You got the, the visionary with the forward thing and then you got the the executioner, basically. And it's like, okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to build this? What are we going to do? And really the practical side of things. And just the, the dynamics, the way it moves is from there, it's just been growing. Just been, and so we did that for four years so far. So, so it took you one day to make up your mind to, to move from UK to Malaysia. Right? Uh, so I'm wondering like, how long it took you to make up your mind to, to leave your 
finance job that pays you pretty well to join Superhands? Um, I think after meeting Mark and understanding what he was what he was trying to do and what he was trying to build, it was I c- honestly I can't really remember. It was a very very short period. It was a very very short amount of time for me to decide that, and I think I don't know when you. So yeah, we can talk about this in a minute. Some feeling the you're going by feeling, and a lot of salespeople will go, you know, I've got a good feeling about this client, or I've got a good feeling about this prospect, and you got to back it up with data nowadays. And it's like, okay, <laughs> what are the metrics saying? All the numbers and all that kind of stuff. But at the time, the intuition, um, yeah, you could say that. And I think making that decision, I remember, you know, going back to 2009, deciding to come over to over to Malaysia. I remember sitting at the airport with a guy I was with at the time, and we were like, okay. What are we going to do here? Like, if we if we make this move to Malaysia, what's this? What's the purpose of this? Like, why are we going to do this, and what are we going to build? Um, and the idea was to you know gain that knowledge, scope out the landscape, and potentially move and you know start our own kind of finance thing. Um, so then making that decision, and then sitting with Mark is like, okay, what are we trying to do? Like, what are we trying to build? And it was pretty much like I think yeah, within a day, couple of days, I think. So um, I'm curious, like, what is going on in your mind when you are making that decision? Because I'm getting that question a lot around, like, right now, my friends that's trying to move into tech, or maybe like people or strangers that's trying to ask me this question, right? Because it's such a high risk move to move from a nine to five, you know, a stable job into exploring a career in tech. So, so for from in your case, when you have to make the decisions to move from your your comfy, you know, finance job into a tech, you know, startup job. That you don't even know whether you you're gonna have a job in one year time. Like, what is going on in your mind? Like, what what are the things that you're thinking about? I mean, we can make it present right now and see all the people that have been made unemployed um, because of the situation that you're in. I think maybe for me, um, it's an element mm-hmm. of control. Um, you know, when you're in sales, you control your destiny. It sounds super meta, I know, whatever, but essentially you do because you make a call, you send an email, you meet a client, you can generate income, and that is it. You don't depend on anyone else. Um, mm-hmm. but, and then when you look at the, the super hand situation as well, for me, it's like, okay, we're going to build something here. I'm going to work very closely with the, the, the management team and we're going to build something. And I think for me, maybe it's that element of control. And I think, you know, what can you learn? I think that's a huge thing as well, right? Who are you going to work with and what are you going to learn? And I know Isaac, we argue a lot I and mean, we, we debate a lot and seeing we, you know, we did the same thing. We, we spoke and we disagreed and, you know, we will disagree on the Tim Ferriss thing and then we can talk about it and, and it's... Not our biggest disagreement, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. but it's one of those things. But, and, that, yeah. and that's important because I say to you, you know, Tim Ferriss thing and, yeah, rather, yeah. Ra- and then rather than saying, yeah, I mean, it's okay. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I didn't really like that book. Mm-hmm. And then we can have a conversation about it. And I think that kind of dynamics and seeing how people operated and feeling that, that's kind of how I make my decisions. I think, you know, what am I... One of my goals and objectives here, like this, yeah. No, I was, it's. I wanted to build something at the time, like coming out of the finance thing. I felt like I was hitting kind of thirty years old at the time, and for me, it just kind of, I don't know, maybe a pre midlife crisis. I don't know if you want to call it that. It's just like, um, if I get past thirty years old doing this, cold calling people, selling financial services. I think this is going to be it. I felt like if I get past this kind of threshold, I was going to be doing this forever. Maybe, maybe rightly or wrongly, I didn't know. But then that was the path I saw. And then we were getting into this conversation with Mark. I was like, well, there's another way. There is like, a, you know, maybe a better way to do things. 
there is like other companies you can work for and experience all these new things and build something great. And it doesn't have to be about money and finance. And I think for me, like after going over to that town hall and seeing you guys and seeing how you operated and the passion you had behind it, I know we're kind of fools to think we can kind of take over the world and all this kind of stuff. But it's just like, wow, they're really, really driving for something. And they wanted something more. And in the finance world, what I found was everyone, it was money. The more was just money. Like we're working, we get a commission, we get paid, you know, recurring. But it was, and that was the drive. That was, and it, I kind of felt like I didn't want that. I didn't, that wasn't me. And that was never me. Uh, the money was, for me, has always been a byproduct of just doing awesome stuff. And then for Subhans, I thought, I think there's just, there's awesome stuff to be done here with a great group of people. That's a very interesting way to put it. And I think like listening to Isaac's question and everything that you've mentioned, the feeling I get is that yeah, if somebody is really at a point of thinking about, you know, should they do it, should they not do it? When I listen to you, I feel like you did you kind of had your convictions and you, you know, you looked at the people that you were gonna work with, what they were up to, and if you felt that you trusted those people and their intentions and what they had set up, you kind of went all in and it like looking back, it seemed like it had, it, it worked out in, in most cases. I think, yeah. So one of, the, one of the values that's lowest on my list is moderation, <laughs> right? So when I, when I, I would dip in your toe, I would just go all in, man. Hmm. And I think because you have that element of control when you're in sales, you have that self-belief. Okay. So when you have that, when you believe in yourself and you can think you can support other people that are they're truly great like you guys, and you want something more and you can support that kind of their own personal visions and you believe in yourself as well, then what is the real risk? So that's a very interesting point. That's a very interesting point. You have a lot of control over uh, that outcome. So it's been great kind of listening to your uh, journey and how you've got to <laughs> yeah, tech. I, I, and I appreciate it's been quite long as well. Sorry. No, that, that's cool. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, it's really nice to know because again, the whole point of it is to know who are the people in tech and you know yeah. where do they come from like they can't just because you didn't just land on this sales or cro role in tech like what what happened to you you know all, all the steps yeah and one thing that specifically uh, i want to ask is you mentioned that there's something you mentioned about like you know the different sort of people that you met in these different industries yeah or the different um and you mentioned like perception how people perceive salespeople. yeah so as you've gone to you know uh, the bank and then mortgage and then finance and tech and right now being in tech, mm. how would you say your sales career specifically has changed? Like whether it's perceptions or day-to-day -day sort of learning and work and things like that? You know, I, I think- Is it like radically different or are you saying it's like almost same thing, it's just like- I, In terms of what my, my perception of salespeople? Your, your sales career. My sales, so self-educated. Um, in terms, you have to read, 100%. You just have to read and yeah, you have to learn. For me, sales is a profession. Hmm. Like you live, for me, you live and breathe it. I obviously have transitioned into a more kind of umbrella style role, taking care of kind of sales and marketing and customer success and um, business operations. And I'll talk about the overlaps in terms of sales and, and what I'm doing right now. But my, you know, my, my career didn't happen by accident. Like head of sales didn't happen by accident. Like building teams didn't happen by accident. And I think, you know, coming back to how do you make that decision to move, like to like, you know, take the leap or yeah. to like go and go to a startup is you've got to build your own kind of worldview. And you do that through learning. And people learn in different ways, like audiobooks and podcasts and all this kind of stuff. Shout out to Isaac and Cena for this podcast, <laughs> Humans of Tech. Um, 
And for me, it was, I was introduced early on to a sales guy called Jeffrey Gittimer. Uh, Jeffrey Gittimer wrote a book called The Sales Bible. And it was basically an end-to-end kind of all-encompassing sales journey and working with clients. And I think it was that guy, The Sales Bible by Jeffrey Gittimer. If you're new in sales or you haven't read it before and you've been in sales a while, read it. For me, it just gave a different perception. I think growing up, you kind of get this perception of salespeople as being maybe some slimy guys that are trying to manipulate you into doing stuff. And then to read this guy's view on being a sales professional and being a salesperson, and now he's a sales coach and he's a presenter and speaker, and seeing how he perceived it and how he trained people, it really got me to think there's more to it than just selling stuff. And then that took me on this journey, like consistently reading about sales, like daily, weekly, monthly, like learning, constantly learning about sales and the things that are around sales, which is people. And that leads me on to like kind of the next part of, you know, this move over into this chief revenue officer thing. It's a people role, I feel. And using the sales kind of knowledge and skills about people and translating them into this overarching working with people more closely in different backgrounds. Mm. It was, it's really interesting to draw some parallels and see where the differences are as well. That, that, that's great. Um, I want to, so when I think about so this episode is really about you and mm. when Isaac and I was talking before this, we were like, you know, some of the th- major themes about you that come to our mind Half of them have to do with people. Right. Half of them are like very personal growth and personal, right. like all about you, the way you <laughs> right. operate as a person, you learn. Yeah, and I think I wa- we want to we want to talk about both. Okay. Uh, first, I want to kind of I want us to go a little bit deeper into like you as a person and the way you uh, grow yourself when it comes to technical knowledge that you've acquired over the years, uh, mentorship if you have any mentors and things like that. Like, how did you feel when when you entered the tech industry? Did you feel there was a made, did there were any barriers to your growth? Like, were there any technical prerequisites that were visible? Or no, do you think it was kind of like nice to have knowledge initially for you to acquire? Because I'm asking this question thinking about the perspective of a person who has been doing sales in any industry but tech. Mm-hmm. And now they're thinking of going to tech and be sell, selling tech. And they're like, do I, is there something specific or special that I need to know that I don't know? I think if you take the, your profession seriously as a salesperson, then realistically, hand on heart, I don't think there's anything you can't sell if you believe in it. Because the idea of selling stuff is working with people to understand what they're truly looking for. Mm. And a lot of the time, like even for super hands, super hands might not be the solution, but by connecting people and building networks and relationships, you can find the correct solution for them. I've seen you do that, yeah. And that's, and that's what it's all about. You've got to have the skills and knowledge to know what you're trying to sell and what people are really looking for and then really ask great questions and delve deep into their needs and wants and desires and all this kind of stuff and then find the right fit. And if you don't have the right thing, then you find someone that does. And that's, and that's pretty much it. Have you ever come across any sort of... Like, is it true? I mean, we all have heard that people in tech are more aggressive towards salespeople. Would, do, you, do you say that's true? Whether, uh, whether consciously or subconsciously. 
I just realized, can we come back to that question in just a minute? I think when you asked me about the barriers to entry as yeah. well. Yeah. So <laughs> now you remember the face of all the people. <laughs> uh, I think in terms Isaac. of Isaac. <laughs> I think so I the, the guys in Subans my source of technical knowledge a lot of the time yeah. as well. Um, so reading some high level stuff in the media and then asking the people that are around you, you know, what does this actually mean? So it's been a development of AI machine learning or any any sort of even developments with Tesla not using LiDAR, for example. And for, from context where people are listening, because Supans really does serve all the companies that are, the companies whose main product and business model is around AI machine learning. And they engage Supans in order to be able to continue building these models. Yes. I think from a high level, you can kind of say, well, you know, using Tesla as, as an example just then, they haven't, they're not designed to use LiDAR to go in purely perception technologies and computer vision. You know, what does that mean? Like, why is that? Like, the one of the most valuable companies in the world now not going down this route when a lot of the other automotive companies are like exploring this. So then, because I, I don't have the, like a deep te technical knowledge, but there are people out there that do like yourself and, and Isaac and then, you know, that's what sparks these great conversations, right? So you're not supposed to know everything. You don't know everything and you, you can't ever. And I think the barrier to entry in terms of moving into technology is closing yourself off to to, to new stuff. I think the best thing you can do is realize you don't know everything and ask people around you, ask questions, and don't be scared to do that. Like recognize and, uncertainty. Yeah, Be comfortable sure. with not knowing in general. You know, and I think for me, that was a big barrier for me moving into the technology space. I thought I was supposed to know everything. Right. You know, I thought, you know, when I, when I was working with a machine learning engineer, I thought I was supposed to know machine learning. When I was working with a data scientist, I thought I was supposed to know data science. But I, but I don't need to. That's a very good point. Um, and, you know, if I was going to work with you guys, I don't need to know everything about product management because I, I don't. I don't know how to <laughs> leave, you know, and I'm never, I'm never going to because you think about all the work that you guys put into being where you are right now. How am I going to do that? You can't. So if you take your profession as, a, as somebody in sales or just your career, seriously, as in your, in your kind of, you say your niche, like for me, if you want to say it's people and personal development and that's my thing, then I will learn, that's what I learn about. I learn about leadership and management and you guys be off reading something else and you'll be a great source of knowledge and I'll be over here reading about the stuff that I need to read about to make sure that when we sit down, we've got value to bring to the table. Yeah, that's something I think, uh, yeah, Isaac and I have talked about this a lot as well. One of, the, one of the underrated and overlooked lessons that I think we learned through our tech education mm. is that, yeah, we become very, we get used to not knowing things mm. and we get used to like, uh, having a generalist understanding of things yeah. enough to be able to learn more about it and be comfortable. I think that's a really good point. I Honestly, I... You just learn enough to be able to learn more. I think you just this desire to want to know. Like this, yes. this, this desire for curiosity. Steve, my BD team leader, we're like, he's just genuinely curious in things. And I think that's what makes, you know, when if you want to talk about sales as well, that's what makes a great salesperson. Yeah. This genuine sense of curiosity, like wanting to know why people want to do something a certain way. And that'll take through on this journey through asking some really good questions. Like that's why we have this back and forth and this dynamic because I'll say something like, yeah, what does that mean? Like, and then you'll ask me a question, like we'll, we'll take it off a completely different tangent. Yeah. And we'll go, and th I mean, that's the dynamics and just what this, being humble enough to say, I'm just not very good at this and I need to find out. I think, and the road to land on that place is to go through imposter syndrome. Yeah. And a lot of it. <laughs> yes. And I want to hear from both of you because I'm very curious. What do you want to know? What imposter syndrome? Like, have you, 
First of all, have you both gone? Have you both had phases of imposter syndrome at some point in your? What do you mean have had phases? You still have daily. Like if you, I don't know. For like for me personally, if you don't have imposter syndrome, you're not growing. Like the only way to kind of Good get point. a get a gauge on am I growing, is to feel like, for me, is like you know should I really be doing this? There's you know there's so many people out there that are way better than me. For those that don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's just this this genuine sense of people that you're going to get caught out by not being good at what you do. You think you're not good enough. And, you, and then you have this devil on your shoulder that says, you're not good enough. You shouldn't be here. You're going to get caught out. You're going to get found out. Yeah, I think I have my huge imposter syndrome, but my football and sports background kind of cancel it out in my own mind until other people tell me, see, now you're too hard on yourself. Then I realize, oh, shit. Okay, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, Isaac, was good. Yeah, I want, you take this. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you because um, I think um, in order to overcome this imposter syndrome, you, you need to be comfortable at doing what you do, right? So you know exactly what will happen, what will not happen. You are able to predict all the outcomes. But if you get to the point, it means that you are doing this again and again and not yeah. going, right? The fact that you get so comfortable on knowing exactly what the out outcome will be means that you're not growing enough, your, your comedy is actually slowing down or you're just not challenging yourself to, to be better. Right, so so I think imposter syndrome might be you know the the package that comes with growing and working in the startup, right? You know, four years ago we are a team of five, right? Today we are a team of like sixty to seventy, wow. and everything goes well for us. You know, in a few years time it's gonna be two hundred, three hundred person, right? So what I learned today and of how to manage a company or how to build products doesn't necessarily translate into what I'm gonna do in the next two or three years. Yeah, right. So. As I as the team gets bigger, as as I'm hiring a more smarter person, as the and as the you know, the market and product get more complex, I have to relearn everything that I'm doing right now. And I think that action of relearning will create this you know sense of I'm not good enough, right? But I think um, it's important to feel that way because it forces you to to be better, to want to improve, right? Because if you don't feel that you're not good enough, then there's no like um, external motivation. That's yeah. gonna push you to to in order You're to strive and be stuck. the best version of yourself, right? But it is it's another thing to to let it consume you. So you yeah. shouldn't feel yeah. that I you shouldn't let the fear of in being an imposter to stop you from taking action. Like, right. So you shouldn't you shouldn't like, yeah. Yeah. So so you you should you should fear your decision because that helps you to try your best to make the best decision that you can, but you should still take a leap forward right. and embrace whatever outcome that comes with that decision. And that, I think that's a great point. And I think... It's a balance. So there's a couple of things I want to pick up on in here. The, the, the sense of imposter syndrome, I don't think it's spoke about enough because people are afraid that they're the only ones that are going through it. Yep. And if, if, they, if they speak it out loud, then they make it real. And mm. then it's like, well, should Mark have really put me in a CRO position? Hmm. You know, and if I, if I speak about this, does this show I'm incapable of doing this? It's just not the case, man. That's why you surround yourself with... And great people and people that are wanting more. Um, and I think one of my core responsibilities is to know that people go through this, go through this imposter syndrome. And it's ex it can be exhausting. And I don't think people talk about that enough because you're trying to do the best you possibly can with the tools that you've got and all the learning that you want to do. And then you're as a, like a, a manager or a leader then people are smashing you down. You get bad news all the time. Like if you're coming from like a sales background, then it's like 
you lose a sale, you lose a massive sale, you're gonna miss your you're gonna miss your quota. And then you make that kind of imposter syndrome, I'm not good enough. Yeah. And I do feel that like one of my core responsibilities is genuinely just to kick people's ass. Like, and to make people realize that it's like, okay, we made this decision, it didn't work out, let's go again. Yep. Doesn't matter, we didn't fail, we learned something, we go again. And to kind of force people that are, that kind of, I don't want to use the word report, but in terms of the people I take care of in super hands, to identify growth opportunities for them mm. and kind of push them towards that direction. I think one of the things that I never really had in in my roles was somebody there to push me past right. those fears of doing something and being found out. So you want to be the manager for your reports that I, you wish you personally had? I want people to be better. Full stop. I want people. To, I want people to be better. Correct. Two thousand twenty. Yeah, I, and that is it. And then yeah. you hire really smart people and there's going to be really, really smart people out there. If you look at my team, they're way smarter than me. I've heard great things about your team. They are, across the board, they're way smarter than me. And I just want to make sure they continue on that path. I want to make sure that if they're going to say, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm a, bit, I'm a bit concerned about this. I'm a bit worried about this. Shut up, man. Let's do it. I've got your back. If you fail, what's the worst that can happen? They're going to laugh at you. For how long? And what, and we're going to go again. Yeah. Can you remember how badly you failed a year ago? Yeah. Does it really matter anymore? It helps. It helps growth. Yeah. But it, in terms of like, in terms of stopping you from doing stuff, I just, it, and I think like having that and seeing being able to identify these things and pushing people to just do better and be better, I think it's, it's a really powerful thing. And if you identify that and just make sure that people are constantly progressing, like people are going to like surpass me. Yeah. Like, easily and the stuff I learned in the last 10 years from a personal growth point of view and stuff to stop me if I can like shorten that down and put people in situations where they're going to have these exponential growth opportunities that's going to put them on course for like a better career in the future I mean the, the team that I've got now they're, they're probably not going to be at super hands forever right yeah but where they go next you know we can influence each other in terms of how that goes and create these opportunities that's true I think we've been having a pretty good conversation about like how I think you and your mindset and your growth stuff, which is great. And now I want to go to that next phase, which I think is your favorite as well. And which is also an area where Isaac, uh, I want to hear from him as well, because both of you are in a position of managing people. Mm. Uh, I know you have your own ways of doing it, maybe similar in some ways, different in some other ways. Uh, but uh, I think the, the, the sort of intermission I want to use is the, the story that comes to my mind is that since you also mentioned rugby initially, mm. so you, you, know, you played team sports. And I used to play football for my whole life as well when I was a kid. And right. something that I think I've learned from team sports is that, you know, in football and probably in rugby as well, uh, every team sport, you have this concept of uh, range of motions in sports in general, actually. Right. But, uh, you know, knowing that how flexible someone is or how like people's joints, how, how can they move? Like if you have a teammate that is super tall and slow, uh, you can't send the ball like three meters ahead of them because they can't get it. Right. Whereas if you have a shorter guy, someone like me, like lean fast, okay, they, they can get it. And when you understands every teammate's range of motions, mm. you're able to manage your expectation from them right. and also set them up for success. Because if you give somebody a shitty ball, they're going to look bad. It's going to ruin their confidence. Right. They're going to look worse than you do, right? Because they missed the ball. So in, football, in, in sports, you have that. But when we come to workplace, it's not so much about physical strength or flexibility. Mm. So I've kind of thought of this term as range of emotions. Right. 
which is a similar thing because now you kind of want to know people's boundaries, what really makes them happy or sad or angry or whatever, and to know what to expect from them. Mm. You know, manage your expectation and also how to how not to set them up for success. How how to set them up for success. Right. And this is something that you know, like both of you can chip in because Isaac and I have had a lot of conversations about like managing our emotions as PMs. Yeah. You know, going to all these different meetings with different people, different <laughs> energy and emotions yeah. that you you want to manage when before you go to the next meeting. And on the other hand, you have all these views on EQ and when you look for people and when you just try to manage people. So where do emotions and EQ fit in your work uh, leadership? And both of you can yeah talk about this. Isaac, do you want to say this or do you want me to go? It's about you. I'll add on to your, your point. Yeah. Oh. So I, I, yeah, Isaac and I can add on when it comes to managing emotions because that's one learning I'm trying to have right now. So I'm very curious about those ideas too. But yeah, go ahead. EQ. EQ, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits. I'm going to start with that, of course. I think if you look at habit, habit number five, do you want to Google that up? Do you want to quote me on habit number five? Sure. <laughs> Do you want me to bring it? I actually, just, just check it. Habit number, I think it's habit number five. Um, first, seek to understand, then seek to be understood. Is that habit five? Uh, seek first to understand, then to be understood. There you go. Habit five. Number one. Interesting. I think as, as a book, if you haven't read it or haven't listened to it or know anything about it, Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is a must, not just as a leader or a manager, just as a human being. I think it just helps you operate in a better way. Um, and there's an offshoot of all sort of um, emotional intelligence and all that kind of stuff. But that, number one, as a, as a premise, like first seek to understand is really, really important. I think, you know, coming back to your analogy from a football point of view, if you cross a ball and it's a bad ball, it's just a bad ball. And that's like, that's the physical kind of aspect of it. When you're working with people, you can try one technique one day and it'll work and then one hour later, you can try the same technique again with the same person and the dynamics have completely changed. It's an ever-evolving thing. And that's why like, no single technique or strategy works consistently all the time, I don't feel, in every situation because you have to move with the emotions and you have to move with the people and move with the situation that's actually happening. And don't get me wrong, I mess this up all the time. I, can, I misread a room. Um, I misunderstand things. Like a few weeks ago, me and Isaac had a big debate because I misunderstood something that was written down. And then I incorrectly responded on a message which outlined all this stuff because I misconstrued what was written. And then we kind of just started to blow up from there. And then the good thing about where we're at Superhands, we got around the table and hashed it out. And we spoke about it and kind of fell, kind of felt around for what was right. And basically, I just screwed it up completely. Um, Almost remove you from the guest list. He <laughs> <laughs> did. It was, it, was an, it was basically an auto message that from uh, from Basecamp, right? And it was like an auto update that I received, and I read it, and I stupidly responded to it, and I sent an email at like because I was doing some work, and it was like half past midnight or something like that, and it was it was just completely unnecessary and uncalled for because I'd reacted to my emotions at that moment in time, and I and I overstepped. I did, and luckily, because of how we've got these things, Isaac called me out on it straight away. It's like, no, this isn't, this isn't right. Um, and more recently, just on like Wednesday or Thursday, misread the room on a, on a Zoom room, um, was kind of feeling around for pushing somebody to like give some responses and give some answers to kind of stretch that kind of mind, and it wasn't the right forum to do it, and it wasn't, and I upset that person. 
and it was really it was bad. It was you know so I I got a voice note from that person like just a few minutes later. So the first thing you do is like you know shit I really messed this up. So I got on a call and I spoke with her and I was like look this wasn't my intention at all. I'm so sorry. And then I put it out into the public that you know I I messed up. Like whoever was in that meeting is gonna see that message that you know hands up like I. This was not how it was supposed to come across. I've completely misread the, the situation, and you know, sorry. And everything between me and this particular individual is cool, um, and it just didn't come across that way. Yeah, and like once, I mean, after this, uh, I, I will, I, I do still want to ask you about the way you connect with some of the clients uh, in different countries mm. uh, without even meeting them, the sort of strong relationship you've built with them. Because I'm imagining for somebody who's listening to you who haven't met you before, yeah. I don't want him to think that you're actually bad at communication <laughs> or you're like, you have a habit of mistreating because because you're you're, you're good at it. Yeah, but, I, but, so but I, I give these examples to say <laughs> we're, we're imperfect people. Yeah. And I think like the, the crucial thing here is the, and when I've done some sales training in the past and I like, conducted that, there's a few things that are like number one. Yeah. Like, your, your attitude when you're going into any sort of particular interaction yep. and your intention behind the message that you're trying to deliver. I think if you approach things with the right intent, then that th that is everything, I think. If your intention is to try and belittle someone or sell someone something, no matter what, then that's going to come across. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff that I you know kind of talk about and go back and forth with the team. And I think that's really important. Like How you approach something, your intentions and your objectives behind that kind of interaction is super important. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing. And I think that that's I think I wanted to add on uh, seeing our point that Greg in no way is a bad communicator. <laughs> um, but but this, I mean he people make mistakes, you know, like what you said. And I and I think that uh, it's part of doing this podcast, right, to share the story that you know is less often shared because people tend to only share the, the good side of things, right? And it's very important to know that there's the, for every like you know one mistake or no one correct decision that we make there's probably like you know 20 30 mistake that goes behind it but no one really shadow story uh, because a lot of times it doesn't look good on the person that is sharing the story right but i think Are you saying it doesn't look good right now should i should i share <laughs> some good share some good stories yeah but it's through those uh mistake that you know we learn the most but it's very important to know that um the people that we interact with you know our direct reports or the people around us they tend to remember the bad things instead of the, the good ones. So you can be doing a hundred good things, but that doesn't matter if you, you know, do one small mistake and hurt their feeling. Mm -hmm. and, and those one mistake are actually equally important to be addressed and resolved, uh, even though it might be unintentional. Yeah. Yeah, right. I think, hmm? yeah, I think ju just on that point, I think that's one of the most important things as well. We, because we are imperfect, we are going to mess things up. Like naturally we will, like maybe this interview. But... <laughs> It's what it's what happens next. Like, how do you, how do you then correct the mistakes that you've made? Like, what 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 are the steps that you're gonna take? Yep. And I think for me, like face to face communication straight away, and interacting with that person to really understand, uh, like what you've actually done that's really affected them, and what you can do to make it better, mm -hmm. and explaining or going through the the intentions that you had, and just trying to interact with that person like face to face. After that, phone call. But I rarely, I don't know if you would agree or not, on on WhatsApp or iMessage or email. I think it's, I think that's like... It's just bound to fail. Uh, yeah, I think co context is lost, I think. It and is. the emotion behind it is actually lost as well from that interaction. Yeah, something I've learned from my manager at Mindvalley, our CPO recently, is about just context. Putting these disagreements, debates, emotions into context of becoming a better team. Yeah. 
because I think, yeah, like if you if you're working with some stranger, somebody new in the team, somebody that you know you're somebody that doesn't fully understand you and how you operate, mm. or you you not being sure about how they operate. Everything, every disagreement can look like a conflict. Yeah. But then putting it in the context of some framework he, that he introduced me to from Bruce Talkman, which says every high-performing team goes through, and I've said it in another episode as well, stage of forming, storming, norming, performing. Right? I haven't, I haven't heard this. I think yeah. there's five stages, right? Huh? And yeah. then there's adjourning, which is like yeah. leaving in the end. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing is, so when you say, okay, forming, storming, then norming and performing, it kind of means that you are, as a team, as a group of people who are meeting, mm-hmm. you are supposed to have conflict and get mad at each other and piss each other off. Yeah. And I think just that context, uh, when I learned about it, I became more conscious about the fact that, the, okay, some of these are going to happen. We're going to stay respectful. You know, we're going to hear each other out. But we know that some of it is going to be inevitable because mm. we are going to have, we are going to disagree at some point. It's just you, can, you can't do anything about it. But yeah, it's I do like I do think that coming back to your initial answer, habit five, seek first to understand and then to be understood. It, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is a very good example, right? So going back to the example that Greg just mentioned about yeah. us having a big conflict and argument a few weeks ago. Mm. So in the context of just me and Greg, that is just a, a normal discussion, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, you know, I think I think we have been working for so long that. I know his intention. Mm-hmm. And I know that in, in this scenario, he might have like, you know, miscommunicated what he's trying to say. Right? So I could have resolved this with an email or just a quick chat. But in this scenario, it's very different because we have a new member in mm-hmm. this team. And it's very important to, for me yeah. to, to, to read this situation and uh, be, to call this meeting so that she knows that, hey, like, whatever Greg is doing, this is not right. right? It's important to, to call out that and make sure that this combination of three person is stronger and better moving forward, right? So, so I think it depends on the maturity of your team and how long you work together. Sometimes uh, you, don't really ne- you don't necessarily have a conflict, but every time when you add a new person in, then you repeat the entire cycle and you have to right. be very conscious about adding that. Right? So, so I think a lot of teams tend to go through the, the, that five cycle, but they don't realize that when you add a new person into the team, that whole cycle repeats again. It starts from the first stage. Right, so that's so that's a very cool point. That's a very cool point. So in a way, you're kind of clearing cash and cookies and rem- rem- reminding yourself to like redo the whole thing. Mm. Yeah, and back to the seek to understand point, right? I I think Greg summarized it perfectly, but I think I can go a bit deeper into uh, the importance of understanding yourself as well. Mm. I think that is probably to me one of the most important thing to do as you are transitioning from an individual contributor into a manager, mm. right? So it's the ability. And to, to go into your, 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 your values and understand like what kind of, what, what's your strength, what's your weaknesses, you know, how is your management style going to be and be honest with it to your team so that they know um, when to call you out and how can they contribute to, to make this whole, you know, um, collection of people can, can perform better together. That's a pretty good way to summarize it. Thanks for sharing, Isaac. Deep in thought. Deep in thought. So you, you're <laughs> contemplating. Life I am right thinking now. of. Exactly. No, I remember. I yeah, I I, I forgot and remembered that uh, one of the first conversation Isaac and I had about emotions at Superhands was a blog post that he sent to me about like seven things that product managers can't do, and number one is be sad. <laughs> 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 really? It's like a satire <laughs> article, but it's a lot in a lot of ways very true. <laughs> but it's I mean I found it to be. 
true because, I mean, <laughs> say for context, the blog doesn't say you shouldn't feel sad, sadness. It's just that you can't look sad in all these different meetings that you go because of the, all the different people you're interacting with and your right. energy can completely ruin everyone's energy right, in right. one day, right? So, yeah, man, what are your thoughts on managing emotions? Because you are going to be, you are going to be having your bad days at some point. Yeah, um, so I've been thinking a lot about this as well. It, you know, interestingly on that, I think it's, um, is it Dan Coyle who wrote The Culture Code? Um, yeah, so he talks about uh, an experiment they did where they had this one guy that- Dan they, Coyle, yeah. Is it Dan Coyle, yeah. Um, and they injected this one guy into like group dynamic that was basically um, lethargic, moaned all the time, said things were rubbish. And they, the, the study showed that when this happened with one person in that, in that kind of group, the whole group, like the results at the end, the group were like, yeah, we think we did really well. And then they compared and contrasted like the results from different groups that didn't have this one person. And it showed that even though the group thought they did really well, they actually didn't perform as well as they should have or could have because of this one person bringing down the, the kind of the, the dynamic right. and the, the feeling of the room. It was an interesting, you should read Crazy. it. Yeah, yeah where just, from, just from this one person. And they had um, and one of the sort of control group where there's, they did the same thing, but there was one person in that group that basically kept pulling this guy into the conversation mm. and like interacting with that person. And he basically this guy who was supposed to be acting a certain way couldn't because this guy was interacting with him and pulling him in and like asking his opinion and getting his thoughts on what was happening around him. And it outperformed, it outperformed the entire team, even though he was there as part of the experiment to bring the team down. He, he couldn't because of this one person in there that kind of brought that, that attitude to kind of pull, pull the team along. But in terms of managing emotions, it's hard, man. It's hard. I think, like you said, when you, when you go through your kind of day-to-day, um, you, know, you do, do a lot of firefightings, like some bad stuff happens, some really good stuff happens, and you make a lot of progress, and then you get some little tweaks here and there. And I think, as Isaac mentioned, about being self-aware about either your personality type or like how you feel on a certain point or the trigger points that you have in terms of things that make you really angry or mm. things that make you really sad. Addressing those or being self-aware of these situations and seeing how you can recalibrate yourself. Right. And I think having that, and that could be, you know, going for a long walk, listening to some really good music, um, watching one of, you know, favorite episode of one of your shows. It could be talking to your best mate. It could be going, playing football. And then creating those situations for yourself and creating those recalibration moments. So for me, sometimes I wake up in the morning, um, luckily I've got a Samsung because they're awesome. And I'll watch videos when I'm in the shower, first thing in the morning. And it'll be something. Don't try this at home. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not holding it whilst like washing the, the little hair that I've got left. But it's like on my, it's on my shelf. Yeah. And, you know, it's maybe some motivational stuff from like Mulligan Brothers or something like that. Oh, wow. And you see even Goldcast is another good one. And I really like being inspired by other people's stories. I think, you know, one of the things that I really live for and thrive on is having what I call these goosebumps kind of moments yeah. where you see people going through these breakthrough kind of moments in personal life or their career or whatever it is and they're telling you this story and again so passionate it could be it, it could literally be anything it could be the best cake they've ever made yeah. but when you see their eyes light up and you see like what they get from it you, it's just you get you just get inspired like 
for me, like the, the, the chemicals in my brain change. And I wonder, it's like, well, how can I recalibrate myself to bring everything I've got to the table every day at, at Superhands? Regardless of what's going on elsewhere, people will expect something from me, whether they like it or not. And that might be a kind ear, it might be to be understanding, to create some sort of strategy, it might be something like that. So I think about how I can recalibrate or calibrate myself going into certain situations. There's a great TED talk on um, body posture by, this, by a lady, and I can't remember who it was, and if you stand like with your arms above your head and your yeah, she, like, she talked about like Superman pose and all the different things. Right. The warrior pose and it works. And, yes. and that's what I do. Amy Cuddy? It might be. Uh, right. Yeah, so that's what I do when I have a really bad meeting. Yeah. For, and then I have to recalibrate myself right mm. before the next one. How's right? it? Hmm? What do you do? Um, you just put yourself in a certain pose. I could, right. I could, I could show you now. Could demonstrate. Uh, so, so for example, if you have a very bad <laughs> meeting, it's, it's usually subconscious to, to go into a very passive, you know, uh, body position because you are just, you're just feeling down you're depressed yeah. you know you're feeling bad so you, in, your whole body posture kind of shrink right and you, you close yourself and, and if you do that you're, you're gonna feel that way yeah. right so, so what I do is I try to like consciously remind myself that hey you know what in order for me to not bring my current emotion to the next one all it takes is just maybe stand up and do a warrior pose or superman pose and it makes you feel differently Right, it makes you feel strong. You know, it, cool. it changes your 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 thoughts and your mindset at that point of time, and just simple things like that. Right. So to add on uh, to what Greg just mentioned, uh, what I also do is I identify the trigger points where my emotions tend to take over my rational mind in a way. So example would be, uh, I tend to or I used to write, uh, reply to emails uh, uh, when I read them. And especially when I read an email that I disagree with, I tend to reply aggressively and I tend to regret uh, what I wrote the next day when I woke up. <laughs> so, so right now what I do is I, I be, I'm very aware at that trigger point, right? So when I read an email and I disagree, I will still draft the email, but instead of sending it immediately, I just let it sit in my draft for a day. Right? So I, I, sleep, I will sleep on it. Um, the next day, like, and I'm, I walk, I will wake up the next day and read my email again. And most of the time, I was like, "Whew! Thank God I didn't send this." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it's back to just like identifying, like understanding yourself well enough that you can identify what is those trigger point yeah. where your emotion just completely take over and have like a, um, uh, if this happened, do this kind of workflow, and it works really well. Uh, like for me, if I have a really bad meeting, so bad to a point that. Um, I can't really, you know, change my mindset. To me, my current workflow is just to reschedule everything, right? Because if not, you're going to create more problems for you to resolve because yeah. you're just going to bring your emotion and screw up the next one and then screw up the one after that, right? So you, you end your day worse than how you started. So to me, if I feel bad, I'll just reschedule everything because I know that I'm not going to perform, right? So, so it just comes back down to understanding, identifying, and having a, a, a workflow around it so that... Um, your mind will just kicks in and, and apply this workflow when it happens. What would you do if you couldn't? If there was like some stuff you just can't reschedule, like you have, you know, got to do this. Like if you've got a board meeting, for example, or if you've got like meeting with some other investors that are coming in, you can't reschedule. So I think a board meeting is very different mm -hmm. because, um, okay, so I think what I'm trying to say is if you are meeting with a team that knows you well, yeah. 
and you can be honest with them and say that hey, I have a really bad day, right? Mm. And if I come off as being aggressive or depressed, uh, that's not intention. Mm. That, uh, that's not my intention. And uh, please call me out on that, right? So I think if your team is mature and knows how to work with you. Uh, they will understand your situation and help you to overcome it, right? Mm. But if you're having a meeting with some external parties, like a client meetings or let's say a board of director meeting, mm. I just have to role play, you know, just 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 kind of uh, hypno like what do you call that hypnosis, kind of put myself in a state where you know you're happy, you know, like you know you are you have to do this, you know, your team rely on you, and it's I mean, it works. But there's a withdrawal after that, right? Yeah. So you might perform in the meeting, but right after the meeting, you, f- you feel like shit, you know? You just, so, so in, but then meeting like bought off direct, like meetings like, you know, uh, like that don't happen frequently. Mm. Thankfully. Mm-hmm. But on that note, so there's a, there's a dude, his name's Stuart Diamond. He wrote a book called Getting More. It's like one of the top, top books on negotiation. That, as well as obviously the one uh, by Chris Voss. Um, and the one going back again a little bit further, like Bill Yuri as well, is kind of creating that foundation for negotiation. Stuart Diamond actually suggests that if you, you know, what you said about when you do that with your current team, you do, you basically tell them, you know, I've just come out of this really, this really terrible meeting, or I've just had this terrible news, and this is the frame of mind I'm in right now, and just letting people know. Mm. Yep. Um, and even with like external parties, it's just like. This is the situation I've been in. Because I think, you know, coming back to the present day and being on Zoom meetings, there's only so much you can catch from people's emotions by being on a Zoom call. And I think if you're upfront with people and tell them, I think adding that human context, adding that human element is, I think is quite important, especially now. Like I, I built my career on people that couldn't, couldn't see me. I built my career on the phone. I built my long-term kind of friendships and relationships on phone calls. That's what I want to talk about next, by the way. Yeah, right. because I do remember you telling uh, me about, you know, one day you're talking to some guy in France, some CTO or whoever, and maybe yeah. their dog died. And exactly you know. right. And as soon as you, th- the whole point behind this, we can talk about this later. Sure. But it's basically just like if you know your business, like if you're talking about it from a business concept, it's like know your stuff so well. They can just, what do they call it? Um, I can't remember. There's like a the quadrant for it. There's like conscious and subconscious and then uh, competence and you have unconscious competence right so right, you right, know right, everything right, right. so well that you kind of go into a meeting or an interaction where you can humanize that interaction knowing full well you know everything about it but just on what Isaac said then I think putting people in that in that frame of mind is like this is the situation I'm in right now you know in your opinion do you want me to be here you know do, do you want to kind of reschedule this I know this is important um but I, where I've just come from and where I'm at right now, you might not get the best of me. And speaking about it kind of objectively like that. Yeah, I think that's a very, very good point, actually. For, for people who are listening, it's called Four Stages of Competence, if you want to Google that. Uh, yeah. and, and, and I just remember there's an easier solution if you have a very important meeting that you can't screw up. Tell me, tell me. I want to know. It's just like be better at organizing your day and just not put any meaning <laughs> that is put, is that is potentially going to screw up your, your emotion before. Like if it's really meeting. bad, like level five bad, you want to take a day off. Of level five of how many levels? Five levels. Five levels. <laughs> <laughs> like your burger lab arrived late and you oh. want a cheese crust and there's no cheese crust in it. I had one of those men. I ordered a breakfast from Burger Lab. And then the guy messaged me saying, yeah, we don't serve it here. And I was like, 
devastated. I'd wait for an hour and yeah. then he'd text me after an hour. By the way, I just want to say that we love people at Burger Lab. This is probably a delivery issue, right? Not a Burger so Lab issue. They, it was just a, it was a delivery system issue. Yeah. So it was nothing about Burger Lab. Nothing about and Burger Lab. We have nothing but love for and, Burger Lab. And it, the dude messaged me like privately and was like, um, if you order again this afternoon, put in a note in the remarks, my name, and I'll throw some extra stuff in there for you. Isaac and I had Burger Lab for breakfast today. Oh, did you? It's there and they wrote us a special message on it. And apart from that, yeah, I think we're, so, this, we'll have so a good. Whole, yeah, we'd love to have a whole episode for that with Can someone we? from. Have you got your kind of go-to for Burger Lab? As in the like go-to item, like yeah, burger? yeah, go-to item. Mine is Ohana. Is it Ohana? Isaac? Hot with sriracha. Yeah, I don't remember the name, but I just like basic like double cheeseburger. So <sighs> don't remember what exactly it's what's called. It's called, but that, that's that's my favorite for me. Yeah. In and out tribute with the popcorn, oh. with the popcorn chicken and that green salsa. I want to know what they put in that green salsa. I actually know, but I'm not gonna disclose that information. <laughs> you, no, you got it, man. The, that that stuff is that's in te- that is nice. It is like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay, we're like, if you're listening, we're looking for a sponsor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this, this podcast is so the two Burger people Lab. that we've mentioned in this, I mean, one now Burger Lab, somebody from maybe Rennie from Burger Lab, and also previously we talked about Mark. And both of them, we would love to have them on this <laughs> podcast at different times, but yeah. Uh, and Greg is somebody who once ordered the six feet under, which is six beef patties in one burger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he ate it. Yeah. He it was easy, man. Ate it. Yeah, yeah easy. I have pictures on WhatsApp, but... Ah, yeah, yeah, I shared them with you. Because you said, like, if you, if you do this, you've got to send me pictures of it. You will be the level five of respect in the burger community. <laughs> but cool, let's, uh, let's go to the next topic. And also, I... I mean, initially, I was thinking a little bit about time and how long we're taking in this, but now I'm not thinking about it too much because our conversation is nice. And I mean, that we don't have a lot of more things to talk about. We do have a few more things. Yeah. And also, I think because this is our third episode, and I think we should just go with it and see, you know, how people respond. How, I mean, how, I do think it's a good conversation. The, the one thing I know, which I think we have control on, is the quality. And I think the quality has been great. <laughs> I, I I mean, I, for, from my point of view, at least, I think that it's I been... Can't, I can't comment on that. Yeah, you're... I what time do you have to go? I don't have a time. I Because this was such an important meeting for me, just like you said, I've got nothing planned after this. That's so, <laughs> so I've scheduled my time correctly today, Isaac. So we could talk about the next thing, which is... Uh, and it, yeah, it's, it's really relationships, because now I think, like previously, maybe if six months ago, you and I talked about building a relationship, especially remotely, mm. it could be useful to a, a small subset of people. But then the world went remote. Mm. And suddenly there are a lot of companies who are hiring people and the whole onboarding may happen remotely and they may never even move to the office. So kind of interested to know what is your what are your principles when it comes to building relationships with people? And on a side note, one of the initial reasons for inviting you to the show was the mm. fact that Isaac and I were planning, we were trying to see how to manage the flow of our episode in general, how mm. to talk. And we were like, how to talk when we remembered Greg, we're like, let's invite him and learn how to talk while recording the episode. But anyway, yeah, how, how do you do relationships? How do you look at them? Um, yeah. Honestly, the one word that comes to mind is care. Just care. Just care about people. That's it. Everything else will, will follow. So if you want to invite me on a podcast and all that kind of stuff, then I care. I, it, it, you know, I, I want to bring my good self to this. I want to make sure I'm prepared and... I want to make sure that we keep the conversation moving forward and all that kind of stuff because I, you know, I care about bringing some sort of value to to this chat. And the same with clients or people generally, just just care. So this is very interesting, right? So I know you for quite a while, and 
you have always been very passionate about sales and you have helped me to look at sales in a completely different lens from just like purely like trying to gain a profit uh, from the other person. You, you taught me that, hey, sales is all about exchanging value, right? So we, we want something from you. But in return, we're going to try to understand you well and try to actually give you value by actually solving the problem you're kind of facing. So, but I'm curious, like, where did this um, realization of, like, you know, you need to care and, you know, you, have, you need to feel empathy, you know, empathy for the people around you. Where, where, where does that feeling come from? Like, you know, can you look back in maybe a part of your life or maybe a certain incident or, or situation where, you know, it helped you to learn this lesson? That's a good question. Yeah, because like every day and for context in the office, when, when, when we talk about you know, people, management and everything about sales, Greg always mentioned about you know, being empathetic, you know, being care about the people and really you know, think, like, like think deeply about how you can help them in their life. But I'm curious about like where this, this idea came from. You have I, to come from somewhere, right? Yeah, I, I, no, I, I, I agree. I don't know where it actually comes from. I'm trying to think of like maybe a point where either something good happened and it just like, I was like, well, how do I accelerate this? Or something bad happened. It's like, well, I wish somebody had taken this approach. And I can't pinpoint it. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it was how I was brought up. Maybe it was. You know, I, maybe it was my mom and dad. Maybe it was my brother. My brother's two years older than me. Um, and like, the impression I always got from like, my, my family, my immediate family, was they just... It's just by default, that's you. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know if I was born with it per se. But I, you know going through like how people interact with me, I know that, you know, right now, when you guys ask me questions, it makes me feel like you care, right? It makes me feel like you want to know my story. And from that, when Pete, and that is such a powerful thing, when people, one, when people call you by name, and two, when people ask you like really thoughtful, meaningful questions. And with that, you want this idea of being heard, I think is really important. You could be right, you could be wrong. It, it might not matter, but to be heard, I think is very important. And I, I, don't know where it, I don't know where it's come from. And maybe it's from reading and understanding a lot. Maybe it's from like messing up a lot of the time. Or maybe it's just from the fact that I know how I feel when people ask me questions. Like when, when somebody's gonna sell something to me or I'm trying to buy something, like how do I feel? What's the journey they're taking me on? Like, are they really trying to sell me something or are they really trying to help me solve a problem? And I know that. And if I feel that, like, why can't I replicate that for other people as well? And it's not just for sales. It's like when you sit down and you have some tough conversations, it's like it's just asking, asking really good questions. And he, realistically, the only way that you can ask good questions, meaningful and thoughtful questions, yeah. is to care like, about the other person. It's like, if you go, how was your weekend? It's like, yeah, it was okay. If you say, well, you know, how was your weekend? I heard you were doing a podcast with Isaac and, you know, I, I hope it's going to be coming out soon. And how did it go? Yeah. Then you take it to another level, right? And then it's just because you thought about it, right? And yeah, I think for me, it's just, well, how, you know, how people make me feel about knowing these small little nuances about my life and then bringing them up in terms of a question. And I think, yeah, for, for me, building relationships, whether that's on Zoom, on a call, you know, face to face, out, it doesn't matter, man. 
That, that's a very interesting point. And you know, the thing that comes to my mind is what you were saying way earlier about the fact that when you were at school, you had no guidance, but mm. the one saying, you know, how to get to uni. And sometimes I think about, because your empathy and all is, is clearly your character and your personality. Right. Whereas those angles of our personalities are completely excluded in any sort of career advice. Nobody's going to advise you to take this career because this is your personality. Right. And something I felt at school was because, I mean, when I was at uni, my, the default advice was, was to become software engineers. And I felt like I can't sit like five hours in one place and just, you know, do something. Although I have friends who could do that. Although I enjoy like coding. And yeah, I feel like, like personality is such an underrated angle when it comes to what career to pick to be able to excel at and enjoy. And because when you pick a career that you enjoy, mm -hmm. that you can excel at, and then, you know, it's better for you, it's better for people around you. And yeah, it just yeah I, that that was my education I think, bias. I think as not bias, just thought. Yeah, you know, just, you know, touching on that as well about you know the the career that you pick. I'm I'm very lucky, like I'm very very lucky in the fact that I kind of air quotes fell into sales, right? Whether that was a conscious thing or a subconscious thing about this career journey of being in sales, I found something I really love, and what I found was maybe it's not the sales thing, it's the people thing. Right. And that's just like this interacting with people and watching people be awesome and be better is, you know, what I strive, what I thrive. At. And I, I really, really enjoy. And I'm very, very lucky in that respect that I found that. Um, and I don't know if it came from learning or whatever it is. And I think when you, if you make a career choice, it's not forever if you don't want it to be. You know, you should, I think we've got to bring him up, right? Gary Vaynerchuk. I think he's, he's around. He's like a social mogul. He's, but he, you know, he lives what he says, and he says this thing, you know, you should, you know, 20s, 30s, you should be testing, you should be trying things, like trying all these new things and finding out what you actually like to do. And, you know, when you look about taking risks, some of it will be, because some of it might not work out, but you've learned something. Yeah. And, you know, you can learn, I, I don't want to do this, and I might want to try this, and you can swap and change and feel things out. And I think that's an important thing. It's like, it doesn't need to be forever if you, if you don't want it to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, coming back to this building, building relationships from a distance and being on calls and what, it's, yeah, it's, how are you going to approach this? What's your intention behind approaching this? What's your intention behind this interaction? Are you trying to give something? Or are you trying to get something from somebody? If you're trying to get something from somebody, it's going to be obvious. If you pick up the phone to a friend you haven't heard from in a while, and it's like, oh, hey man, how's it going? You know, it's like, well, this is a multi-level marketing call. For <laughs> sure. It's like, how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, going back, one of my biggest learnings from this, when I was at university at the time, I needed money, I needed some cash. So what I used to do, I used to call my dad a week in advance of me actually needing any money. I'd be like, oh, hey, dad, how's it going? How's things? Um, warm up. It was a warm up. Yeah. It was like preempting. And he, he saw right through it. Like it happened maybe once. And I called him. I was like, oh, hey, dad, how's it going? And he was like, how much? He, how much? <laughs> Don't want to hear it. How much do you want? And I was like, I, I don't, <laughs> so it's just those things. And, yeah. and I think, my, so my dad, he, he worked two jobs when we were growing up. He was a um, civil engineer. And then right. he also used to work in telesales, wow. which for my entire childhood growing up, I used to think he sold TVs over the phone. That's what <laughs> I thought telesales was. I used to, th I used to think... Tele was short for television, not telephone. Yeah. yeah. Always thought telemarketing is selling TV. Right? <laughs>
It's the marketing of TV <laughs> animation. <laughs> and I was like, so I was like, wow, you must be really good at selling TVs. <laughs> but yeah, so he used to do, um, he used to go on, he used to doing a sales job as well. My dad, like 100%, he, he hustled, man, when we were growing up. He hustled, right? He made sure that we didn't go without. Like, and you know, we didn't have everything when we were growing up. We had very little, but you know, whatever we did have, it was it was awesome. Like, it was a great experience, and you could see how hard my dad used to work going out doing two jobs. But then there was an agreement between my mum and dad where my dad would do that because they wanted my mum to stay home and take care of the kids, like me and my brother. So they didn't want like two parents going to be going out working and somebody else bring up their kids. But then my mum would do these things. I don't know, you guys might be a bit too young for this, and I don't know if they had them here or in Iran. Tupperware parties. <laughs> do you know what these things are? No. Do you know the plastic Tupperware yeah. you've got in? So it was basically, they, in the UK, there's like a Tupperware company. Yeah. And they base, they'd have like, it's like the Avon ladies. You know Avon? You go door to door selling like makeup right, and all okay. that kind of stuff. But what they used to do, they was like, okay, well, you're going to sell Tupperware for us. And they used to have these people like my mom. And they used to bring their friends over, like wine and lunch and all this kind of stuff and sell Tupperware. Oh my God. Yeah, I remember now. Now I know where this salesman should come from. And I, but again, like my dad interacting with people, loved it. My mom having these parties just loved it. And it must be this, you know, coming back and I was thinking about it. Maybe that's just what it was. My mom and dad having like these street parties for birthdays, like my mom's 40th birthday party. They had to take the doors off in the house because so many people came. And it was these gatherings of people and you could see like the interactions. And as kids, we were always involved. We were always involved in this kind of stuff. Not drinking, of course, because we were like minors, but I'd been around these people and seen these interactions. And I think that's probably where it came from. Yeah, just caring about people. Mm. So, so from observing your work, I know that when you care about someone, you generally want to know more about them mm. and you generally want to help them to, to be better. Yep. Right. So, but I'm also curious that do you think as a like new salesperson, as a salesperson, can you get good at caring with the intention of like maybe selling a product that you to to them and get so good at it that the other person wouldn't recognize that you are trying to do that? You know, I, I, I think you can. I think you can get that good at it where you don't really care about the product, but you sell it anyway. Um, no, not really that. I'm more like you don't really care about a person, but you try to like show that you care and build this relationship with the intention of eventually selling them the product. Honestly, manipulating? I, is yeah, that? basically manipulating a relationship to sell something to somebody. You can. But will you? Would I? Yeah. No. Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. No. I think you, you can have a business dynamic where you can interact with somebody and there's going to be a transaction. Yeah. Now, you don't need to love them forever and like go to their house for parties and all this kind of stuff. I think you can have that very kind of transactional business relationship. Yeah. Um, but, you, you know, that's why as I mentioned, the salespeople, they get trained and taught and they learn how to like do certain things and yeah. be a certain way and act a certain way to make people feel like there's that connection. And then as soon as that connection is broken, the trust is broken yeah. and that person feels manipulated. I've been there before. I know when people are trying to manipulate me into buying something. So, and that's why, you know, sale, traditional, uh, the, the sales approach, like getting people to a heightened state of emotion where they will then act on emotion rather than logic, coming back to Isaac, acting on emotion, sending emails, rather than more logical approach. 
salespeople can have that power. They, they can get people to an emotional state to buy something and then coming out of the shop or coming off the call and they bought something. And they're like, what the hell have I bought? Like, what, what have I just done? I was like, this state of euphoria like washes off them. Yep. And you know, there's this, this whole thing about like boiler rooms selling fake shares because they get people on a phone call and they can manipulate people and this, they know these certain desires of you know, FOMO, like fear of missing out. And it can create this desire in another person and rip them off over the phone. And it can be done. But obviously it shouldn't be done. And I would never do that. I would never do that. So as a sales manager, if there's a person like that in your team... There wouldn't be. Hmm? There wouldn't be a person like that on my team. They, they wouldn't even make it through the hiring stage. I've been in that situation before. I'm just, I, just to cut you off, straight away there. I don't know you can go on and ask the question, but I've had people coming from a recruiting background saying, if you bring me on board, I will make you this much money. Mm-hmm. And they could. They, they, yeah, technically they could. But they didn't like the way they, were, they want to do it. Right. But that... If that's going to be their focus, what does that mean for like approaching product, right? Uh, they might want a certain feature. How are they going to approach that? How's that interaction going to go? Like from an operations point of view, how are they going to approach the operations team? Like if that is their core driver and that is that what they care about and that's what they're coming on a call to tell me, honestly, I don't want to know. And that call lasted about three minutes. I remember those once, I think you were hiring last year before you hired Min and... I was thinking out loud. So you told me the criteria of somebody you're looking for, I think. And I thought I was thinking out loud about one guy that I knew. And I was like, okay, I think this guy could sell anything. And you asked me a few follow-up questions and then about these things, ethics and all. And then I was like, well, to be fair, there was one time where he was selling some fake-ish cryptocurrency stuff. And then you were like, okay, then I don't want him. And then I think after that, I thought of, okay, then I was like, okay, so you don't want him. Who's the opposite of that? I'm like, okay, mean. <laughs> And he, it was like the other person that I recommended, yeah. So you're talking about Min? But, but you, what, what you say, yeah, you definitely stand for it. I, I think when you, you know, when you talk about Min, he cares. Like, I mean, okay, when I say the opposite meaning, he has all the sales skills, it's just that the ethical part is also yeah, there. I think Min as a salesperson, the salesperson part is a byproduct of him just really caring about yeah. our clients. Like Min takes care of our customer success, basically. Yeah. He takes care of all our clients. And on a quarterly basis, we've got a benchmark where we use a net promoter score and we send this out to our clients. Yep. And the feedback that we get is a testament to what Min does, how he operates. And it's, I, I feel that when, you, when your intentions are, are right, like delivering excellence to a client, then it's always going to come through. And it does translate into, it does translate into money. Yep. Money isn't the, the objective. Creating that experience is the objective. And the recurring revenue is a byproduct of just being like good and great to, to your clients. Yeah, good. I, I, I know I cut you off from your question. Do, do you want to ask it like, in terms of if there was a person on my team, what would I do? No, I, I think you answered that right. I mean, <laughs> right. Like, I think one of the solutions is obviously not to have the person in the yeah, first yeah, place. Yeah. So, so yeah, I guess, I guess that hired, answer it. You're hired for this company as a new CRO and you have like one person who's like... Well, oh. I guess I could twist the question to, to a way that let's say you hire a person without knowing it yeah. and over time you have found out that uh, over time you found out that this person have been building relationship just for the sake of selling the mm-hmm. product and not really generally for the like, you know, creating values and, and all those things that you, you, you just preach for. Like, mm-hmm. what, what would you do? I think that, you know, that's a great question. I think that will 
that will come from feedback that I get from the other leaders and managers in different teams because they'll be forcing issues and they'll be like trying to coerce people into doing something just so they can make a commission in a certain month and you get this feedback from other team members and hand on heart they would they'd be let go they because it, it, it will it damage the culture and damage the dynamics of an internal team and we can't have that it's like the the dynamics of the team and the culture of the team is bigger than one single sale. It's bigger than, even if it's $100,000, and it, it's bigger than that because it's the intrinsic value within the company. It's, it's, and you make, you make that call. And if you have that North Star by operating in a certain way, then it's an easy call to make. This is how we operate. If you do not, you do not belong here. And then if somebody questions that decision that you have to make, I'm like, this is what I'm building. Like, I'm building this, I'm building this company and I want everyone in, in this company to be to have it as a safe space. And if that's if that's being damaged or broken, then you're not welcome here. Mm. And I think that's fair. And then you can always use that as your North Star. And you guys, you know, you, you know what my North Star is, right? You've seen this kind of leadership and personal growth thing and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And that's how I'll operate. That's cool. I think this has been a nice conversation uh, about Greg. I think not just you as a person, but also this whole career uh, this persona in technology that there can be people doing these things. And I think to a lot of audience, this might have been an unknown before this talk. So yeah, I think I'm very happy about all the things that we discussed. Is there anything else on your mind, Isaac, that you think we should talk about? Yeah, uh, I think one last thing, if, if there's a listener that is listening to this episode and would like to know like how they can break into like, you know, being a salesperson in tech, uh, what is your advice to them? Or who do they who do they email? Who do they email? Greg at superhands.com. I think if you want to get some guidance on that or how I came from a non-tech into a tech background, I'm more than happy to answer any questions on that. That's fine. Um, it's also a platform called Future Lab. Future Lab, yes. So Future Lab connects mentors and mentees. And it's a great platform where you can actually talk to different people from um, from different backgrounds. And I think that that kind of platform will allow you to see where other people are coming from. Career fairs as well are also a great place to go just to kind of experience different businesses that are out there. And I think, to be honest, LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn and you are curious about maybe a certain company or a certain piece of technology, find somebody on LinkedIn that's in that company and reach out to them. And always add a personal note. Hi, my name's Isaac. I'm currently in, you know, I've never done sales before. I'm really interested in being in sales and tell them why you're interested in being in sales in a short, because I want to help people, because I want to see how technology changed the world. I noticed you're in this company and I want to ask you a few questions. I'd like to get your advice. Regards, person. Cool. Um, is there any special, special shout out you want to make? Ooh. I know it's cliche though. Just do it. Do it. I know it's cliche. Just do it. Um, I want to say, I want to give a shout out to Mark for taking a chance on me coming from a B2C finance background and helping him grow Superhands to where it is today. Are we going to cry? I'm not going to cry. Okay. Do you want me to cry? I don't know. <laughs> Ask me a really good question. I might cry because it shows that you care. Yeah. Uh, and then the second shout out to Isaac and Cena, of course, for having me on today. No, we're going to cry. <laughs> yeah. No, I've really appreciated this. It's, um, is not often I'm on the on the receiving end of you know a lot of great questions. So it's one of my jobs to ask people some really good questions and find out more about them. So it's uh, it's kind of nice being on the other side of the table and telling my story. To be honest.
Thank you. It's a, it's a great honor to have you as our first guest for this uh, new series of Human in Tech. I think uh, when we think about highlighting the stories of people that work in tech, I think your story is, is definitely one of the stories that we're going to highlight. And uh, we appreciate you spending your Sunday morning with us. Yeah, thank you so much. There will be a link to all the books that Greg uh, mentioned. There will also be a link to his future lab profile. Uh, if you want him to be your mentor, you can connect with him there. Uh, well, also his LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening to Humans of Tech Podcast. I'm Sina. I'm Isaac. And I'm Greg. Thanks, guys. And this is the end of the third episode. Goodbye. Good day. Bye.